I remember a couple of years ago, um, especially when I would invite friends to church or invite people to church, there was always something in me that a little bit was bent towards, Lord, may it not be one of those Sundays. Um, you mean those crazy ones, those that people jump up and down or speak in different languages or some demon run out of the door or just something strange, Lord. Let, let it be a normal Sunday. Um, but more and more as I read my Bible and I just stand in awe of who God is, I want to say sorry but not sorry because this is ultimately a group of people that love the Lord and love and not only say that they are Christians, but there's truly a life laid down and given to God. And I'm trusting that our worship and our lives and our, the way we do church would not be just something that reflects Josh Jen, but would be something that you read in your Bibles as a radical bunch that says that they devote themselves to the things of God. Amen. I want to pray for us. Can I ask that we put the mic a little bit softer? Otherwise, people are going to think I'm screaming at them. Um, but then we can take it from there. Father, we thank you just for this wonderful time of worship, Lord. Lord, you, as we sang, are holy, Lord, set apart, the only true one that's worthy of our praise, God. And Father, I thank you for moments like these, Lord, where, where we make much of Jesus, we make much of God, but ultimately we are blessed in the process because we find our true calling, in a sense, to glorify Jesus. Amen. Amen. So my name is Henry, um, and my wifey is trying to walk up and down to get our baby to sleep. It's one of those things when you have a service at 6 o'clock. It's like that peak time when baby needs to go down. Um, but praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You go, girl. <laughs> and for the past couple of weeks, us as elders, um, I'm an elder in this, in this church alongside Mac that was here. You saw the three musketeers that stood there and left <laughs> earlier. Um, they are um, also part of the eldership team, but we do have a 4 p.m and a 6 p.m. congregation at this stage uh, where some of the elders are based on that side and some on this side just to make sure that nobody burns down this building and we try to follow Jesus. And we met as elders for the past couple of weeks really to try to find God's heart. And as we sat down and considered, there was really a sense that God started to speak to us. We sat down with the deacons, and it, it looks like God started to speak there as well, and even to some of our leaders, the community leaders, that God really wants to build something within us regarding discipleship. And discipleship is one of those words, or being a disciple, or being a follower of Christ, being aka a Christian, is one of those basic things and fundamental things of Christianity but there's such a vastness in definition thereof. There's such a bigness in the topic. Thank you. Um, and we really thought that God wants to come and build this within us. And it's almost like back to basics because a building like we on today or in today never decides on its own that I'm going to move from my foundation and then I'm going to go plant myself somewhere else. That would be strange. Likewise, in Christianity, we don't move on from the basics or graduate from the foundations, but the building of our Christianity is always built upon the basics of the faith. Because later on in life, we start to see a crack in our Christianity building. We start to see 
a leakage there or something skewed there. And we, then we need to ask God, how is the foundations going? Is there something that I need to go dig down again and say something was built wrong or something was laid down? So we need to actually continually be those that go and revisit the basics of Christianity. Amen? So discipleship in its essence is actually a student or follower of somebody. And if you are sitting in a church today or church building, um, I must say, then you are actually um, aiming, hopefully, to be a student or a follower of the person of Jesus Christ and acknowledging Him as Lord and as Savior. But we're going to probably, for the next couple of weeks, dig into a little bit deeper into this topic of discipleship. And it might come across a lot of things that we need to do or be or not do. And this is what a disciple looks like. But tonight, what I decided to do and, and rather felt to do is to pause a little bit and take a little step backwards and then look at the, the topic of discipleship and ask the question, why? Why discipleship? Why do we need to live a certain way? Why do we need to give ourselves? Because ultimately, if we don't know the why behind it and the purpose behind it, it will feel empty. And I thought about this illustration about brushing your teeth. All of us know it is a good thing. All of us were grown up or taught, hopefully, to brush your teeth in the morning and in the evening. Some of us had those rad radical parents that said, let's do it morning, afternoon, and evening, but if they decided to just raise you to brush your teeth, but never explain the why, you just were maybe obedient, you brush your teeth, your mouth actually feels nice afterwards, so you start to do it five times a day, six times a day, seven times a day, it's quite nice. Or others of us would just leave it completely. Like, this is such a waste of time. Why do I need to put a stick in my mouth with a little brush and move it around? If there's no purpose behind it, I don't understand. It gives it meaning if we understand that it is good for us. It gives us meaning if we understand the purpose behind that your teeth will fall out if you don't, in a sense, brush your teeth and things like that. Likewise with discipleship, your Christianity will feel actually a little bit empty and just things that you need to do every single week if you don't have the purpose or, in a sense, the foundation behind it, the purpose behind it, and that's where I want to get stuck a little bit tonight. Amen. So we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians 6, um, verse 19 to 20. But before we get into this, Paul, the apostle, is writing a letter to the church of Corinth. These people are Christians. They are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. But... They're not getting it right that, that much, okay? They're actually quite a terrible church, to be honest, if you, write it, the, if you read the letter of Corinth. And Paul is writing to them, actually telling them how to not do this discipleship thing, um, because what they are busy doing, if you read from the top of verse, uh, or chapter 6, you will start to see that they were fighting in between one another, and disunity, and even gr some of them taking one another to court. And, and they can't sort it out amongst one another. Then the chapter goes on to explain certain sinful habits or sinful things that is found in their midst and say that as a holy people dedicated to God, these things should not be found in your midst. Then it goes on for a whole chunk of that thing to speak about um, 
don't give yourself to prostitution, to sexual immorality, and it goes all into those type of things. But then what Paul does way in the end, he doesn't just leave them with a couple of things to do, he grounds it in a why. It's like, why do you not need to do this and this and this and this? And he grounds it some, somewhere in verse 19, we're going to pick it up, and let's read together the why they should behave in that way. 6 verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And we're going to anchor, in a sense, this message this evening in this that these people need to recognize that their lives and living for, for God and discipleship and following Jesus is rooted in this one truth that your life is no longer your own. It has been bought with a price. This is a little bit ancient when it comes to our modern day culture where everybody thinks they have a lot of free will and a lot of things to do. So this goes counterculture that Christianity is actually a life laid down for Jesus. Your life no longer belongs to you because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. But I must say, when just before I became a Christian, uh, I was well aware that I knew my life was my own. I was well aware that, for example, I can do what I want to. I can go where I want to. I can become one day what, what I want to. There was such a deep sense of that I was an individual, and there was an individualisticness to me, and that I was independent of anyone or anything. Even sometimes my parents, they would say this side, I would go that side. And there was something that I knew that as an independent person that I have free will, I can do whatever I want to. But with all the freedom in the world and all the independence of the world, I felt purposeless. There was a sense of, I can choose anything in this world to do and become anything, but it felt like it was richtingloos. I didn't know where to go. And then it carried on that I can become actually anything in this world when it is career-wise or associate with a certain group or a certain sports team or a certain, I don't know, people that identify as something. But something in me always felt insecure and I have a lack of identity. No matter where I tried to fit in, I felt like a chameleon sometimes in school, trying to fit in here, ah, no, no, no. And some of us, even now, try to live this way and trying to fit in, and we have all the freedom to do that, but we still feel lost. That's strange, actually, eh? Even with this independency, there came such a sense of, um, just a feeling of, I remember those couple of months just before I became a Christian, I felt lost. No direction. I don't know who Henry is. Just felt I'm on my way to somewhere, but it felt like nowhere. And the thing that I want to just explain with this is the feeling of feeling lost or this independency is actually rooted in the spirit of, big statement, of Satan. The whole world presses for independency, presses for individualism, presses for be your own person. But we feel more empty with it. Why? Because Satan tried it in heaven. 
He tried to be independent from God. He tried to pick himself up and say, I want to be like God. I want to rise up. And, and pride entered into his heart to be an individual separate from God, and God cast him down. Now the whole world is caught up, actually, it's called that the God of this world is Satan. And we are caught up in this very thing of individualism, of being independent, but God never designed us to be independent. We are called to be dependent on Christ. We are called to abide in Him and to be disciples and followers of Him. We were always, always designed to feel that deep connection with God. That's why every time we try to do our own thing, we feel more lost at the end. Or for a moment, you might feel significant or might feel something, but at the end, it just feels empty. We are called to be dependent on the Lord. And even as Christians, just a freebie, you don't need to pay me for this. Um, Christian independence sometimes filters out and looks like prayerlessness. We think we can do it without God, so we don't need to pray. I can do it, God. I know you have to strengthen you, own the whole world, but I can just do it my own way. So even as Christians, a good way to measure this is, how's your prayer life doing? How's your asking doing? How's your humbling yourself and coming to the Lord? So it continued that in my grade 11 year, with my deep independence and, in a sense, reliance on myself, I went on this camp. Um, it felt like force. I was probably not forced, but a, a, a church camp. And I, I had this encounter with the Lord, and I became a Christian. And on that camp, they discussed... One verse, Romans 12, verse 1. Let's read it together. Romans 12, verse 1. The ESV says it's a little bit more difficult after the NIV here, so I'm going to read both. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The NIV speaks about, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. This is your true and proper worship. Paul is saying here that we should lay down our lives and, and give it to God as a living sacrifice. And by doing so, that is actually our worship unto him. But he's saying that it's not only that, but it is rooted in something. Being a disciple, being a Christian, laying down your life, giving your life to God is not the only thing. It's rooted in, in view of God's mercies. So if you go read the book of Romans, before chapter, chapter 12, stating the obvious, there was 11 other chapters. In these other 11 chapters, we need to ask, why why did he say, therefore, they need, need to ask, where from is he coming, by making this statement? And the where from is 11 chapters of him systematically explaining and laying out the gospel that the, the first one to three chapters speaks about how sinful we are. It speaks about how our desire is actually contrary to the Lord. There's an independency to, to, to do it our way rather than God's way. And there was a standard place, and we fell so short of that standard. And ultimately, we deserve nothing more than punishment in hell because we're opposing the creator of the heavens and the earth. But God looked down on us and he said, I, I look at these people and with love, I see that they can't do it. They're trying to be better people. They're trying to find themselves like I tried to do and fit in certain groups and try to find my identity. But I felt more lost. And he said, they can't. 
They need somebody that can. And God, being rich in mercy and generous and kind and loving and, and, and looking into the situation, said, I will make a plan. I will make a plan. And Jesus Christ decided to lay down his life on our behalf to make a way, to create a door, to create a bridge that we could never cross, a river that was so large and so vast that only God himself can cross that. And he laid down his life creating this bridge that now as we come to Jesus, and as we come to Christ, he is now the door, he is now the way, he is now the bridge that we can cross to go to the Father. Hallelujah. And in view of what God has done, we have now free access by believing in Him, believing Him as, as Savior, but also as Lord, and laying down our lives for Him. And then He starts to not only, in a sense, now we call ourselves Christians, but He starts to create something new within these people that are given to God. And these are some of the things that He makes new that I just thought about. New in our thinking. New in our purpose. Once I didn't have a purpose, but all of a sudden I aligned myself with God and it felt like life just made sense because He is ultimately the creator of life. He gives us a new nature. The Bible says that before you became a Christian, you were by nature children of wrath, opposing God. But it takes away that nature and gives us a new nature of the likeness of Christ. He gives us a new heart, that hardness in opposing God. He takes it out and He puts something new in you. Once it was difficult to love, then you became a Christian and it just became natural. Once you were quite a sirkunol, what do you call that? Just somebody just like frowning the whole time. And then God comes to do a work in you and all of a sudden you start to smile every now and then. There's a joy and the life of God in you for most of us. Some of us are just a work in progress. Um, <laughs> We get new desires. I loved to sin. You never hear that in church. Before I became a Christian, I lived to sin. Everything in me was drawn to that. My desires was to please my father, Satan. It's true. That's what Jesus says. If you don't follow me, you follow Satan, your father. Everything in me, I was a good sinner. I was messing up my life, and I was drinking and smoking and partying and doing all the things and living the life, but it was empty. Then I became a Christian. I never read my Bible. I never thought about God. I never had the desire to worship. It's just awkward people jumping up and down, and every now and then a hand goes up. Why do I want to associate with those people? Then the desire changed because I knew the God of those people. And something in me was drawn to that and given to that. My nature changed and my desire Desires changed, taking too long on this. Um, and ultimately, just in, on the father thing, you get a new father. You get adopted into a new family. This is the newness that God creates within us. 1 Corinthians 5.17, I think it's five, 2 Corinthians 5.17, um, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a follower, a disciple, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So I wrote down here, maybe just to, to read it, the, found, the foundation we build discipleship on, or what it actually means to be a disciple, is to acknowledge that your life is no longer your own. It is given to God as a living sacrifice, and that is our worship in view of what He has done for us. 
So Christianity is not just a behavior modification. Just like, okay, in this church I behave such a way, and then I go to another church and then I start to behave another way. Because there's different strokes for different folks, right? I go to a more reformed church because that is the way um, introverts worship. And then I go to a more extroverted church like Josh Jen, and then we jump up and down because that suits my needs. That is not Christianity. Christianity is, let's go revisit the Bible and say, God, how do you desire us to worship? How do you desire us to live? How do you desire us to build church? But when man comes into it, we start to see a bending of the way God wants it into our preference rather to his liking. No longer your own. So let's go, let's just put up that scripture. I'm not going to read it again, but that our life is no longer our own. I think in our modern day culture, this is quite a difficult thing to grasp because what is our language of today? Our language of today is, I wrote the following thing. In view of this, our love is no longer our own. We say things like, my wife or my, my husband. We say things like, my car, my career, my studies or my work. My ministry, my community, my future, my thoughts, my times, my plans, maybe a touchy one year, my capacity, my, my, my. And maybe we can say, but that is just the way the English language works. That is just the way language works. That's how we describe things. That's how we say certain things. That is just the way we speak. We can't just take that out. It might be so. But if we truly dissect that and go into our hearts, we can sometimes see that our lives are very much still held quite tightly in our own hands when it comes to our capacity, our time, our plans, our future, our careers, our studies, our priorities, and not that much actually given to a life. Oh, that's 2 Corinthians. What did I say? 1 Corinthians 6. Sorry. The first anchor one, <laughs> um, that your life is no longer your own. So as a disciple of Jesus Christ, our lives are no longer our own. It belongs to God. Deuteronomy 10, 14 um, says, the, says the following, Behold, to the Lord your God belongs the heavens and the earth. Is that two heavens? Heavens of heavens. <laughs> The earth with all that is in it. The NIV speaks about, to the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens. The earth and everything in it. And as I read my Bible and I read, the uh, I read about the church and the early believers and how they just lived for God radically, I see a people that understood that being a disciple and being a follower of Christ, they knew that they knew that they knew that their life no longer are their own they are given to a purpose. They're given to God. They, they fully hand it over into his hands and say, God, I'm given to you. Living sacrifice, and that is my worship. And I thought about this. If your Christianity today, and maybe this is just something to think about, that if your Christianity today is almost like an understanding that it is a lot of things that you need to do. For example, I need to go to church on a Sunday. I need to be in a small group on a Wednesday. 
I need to read my Bible. I need to sometimes love people. I need to forgive if it's not too bad. I need to honor my parents. I need to pray every now and then. I need to, I need to, I need to. Then I think there might be a faulty foundation crack in your Christianity because Christianity, that type of Christianity, might feel very heavy to you. If that is the reality to you, I think your Christianity might be quite heavy because it feels like law. It feels like rules. It feels like things that you just must do. And that's why I didn't want to start with what is a disciple, but with the why. Because I think as I read the early church and I, and I read about a laid down life, I read about people that their they thinking is this, I get to. I get to go to church. I get to go to come. I get to belong to a people holy and pleasing to God and being formed into His image. I get to look like Jesus. I get to love one another. I get to lay down my life. I get to give up my, my finances for the Lord. I, lay, I, I, I can give my capacity. I can give all of these things. It is actually a place of thankfulness that I can do this thing rather than a burden to try to please. It's out of an appreciation and a thankfulness that we are disciples of Jesus, not out of a place of duty. That is how I read my Bible. That's how I read Christianity. It's out of a place of His mercies and view of that and what He has done, I get to lay down my life. Victor and Lorenda sitting here just thinking on top of my head now. A year ago, you guys came to Stellenbosch. They didn't need to come to Stellenbosch, guys. They were happy in an old people church called Josh Jane Edgemeet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there was people their age and even older. Believe it or not, there's older people that exist. Um, <laughs> but there was a call made in the whole of Josh Jane. This is not, this is one little bit of Josh Jane. We are 55 Josh Janes across predominantly South Africa and reaching to some of the other nations. And there was a call that said, who wants to come and help here? Who wants to lay down their life? Is there anybody in the whole of 8,000 people willing to lay down their life for God? And two people said, well, we don't need to move, but nothing holding us here. So we get to bless Stelis PM. And something of that heart, we need to learn. They are, in a sense, before us. They have, have a lot of stories in their back pockets. They have a lot of testimonies. They have a lot of, in a sense, stories of laying down their life. But as this generation, we get to build up these stories to lay down our life. And as the next generation come, we'll look at us and say, that was a people laid down for the kingdom of God. I want to imitate that. And something in me looks at them and say, I want to imitate that for the rest of my life. A laid down life. So ending off with the following. So how does this look for us and in our daily walk? I thought about the word stewardship. If everything belongs to God, that means it's borrowed to us. And it does never belong to us. Our time is borrowed to us, so we get to steward it for God. Our money and possessions is borrowed to us by God and we can steward it. When it comes to our bodies, 
It doesn't belong to you. It's given to God, and we can steward it. Your future and your career, it's from God, and we need to steward it. The Bible speaks about the gift of singleness. It's a gift. It's not a given. It's a gift. But for those that have the gift at this stage of singleness, are you stewarding it well? Or is there discontentment always for the next and missing God? Likewise, for those that have the privilege to be married or on their way to get married. Bernard, Daniel, where are you? <laughs> the gift of marriage was handed to them and for the married couples in our midst. Are we stewarding that well? Because it's a gift given to us. We are given the gift to belong to a spiritual family. Are you stewarding that well? So a disciple of Jesus Christ should never be asking this question, God, would you come and bless my ambitions? Would you come and bless my future? Would you come and bless my calling? But a disciple of Jesus Christ makes it its aim to find out what is God's desire, what is His will, what is His purpose, and he takes everything that was given to him and aligns himself with God's calling. That is Christianity basic, Christianity light, not the Christianity the world teaches. Mankind, maybe you can put up that quote, mankind is only God-centered if they know that God is man-centered, a.k.a. making man the center of the universe and not God. We need to adjust our lives that we are not the center and trying to let God bless us the whole time, and God wants to bless, Okay? He wants to make us prosper. He wants all of those things. And this is not prosperity gospel. This is the Bible. But are we making him the aim and him our future and him in our sight? He is the, the center of the universe and not us. So I want to end off by saying this. Maybe you're sitting here and you're visiting and you're like, Henry, it sounds like God is just this egocentric being looking at us and just want us, in a sense, to have no free will. What about my dreams, careers, passions? Isn't those things from God? The open doors that He's given me, isn't that from God? Isn't there freedom to choose? And I want to say yes, there is, definitely. But as a disciple, we do two things. Maybe I'm going to take my laptop with me. We do two things in, in our surrender, and I actually want to use this as an illustration. When we go down to surrender before God, and we stand before Him, it is not only that we are coming low and surrendering our lives, but we're actually acknowledging something as we are doing this. We are acknowledging that He is God and we are not. That is what surrender is. We are acknowledging by our posture of going low to say that His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and we only know what is happening in this hour. He knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end is the Alpha and the Omega. Then as we understand who God is, He is good. So no matter what you plan and desire for your life that is good, His goodness will always be greater than that. So laying down your life and laying down your plans and laying down your things, you're actually always laying down second best for best. Yeah. 
You picking up your life is always choosing to second base in comparison to the goodness of God. And as, in a sense, you start to walk with him as a disciple, skinny jeans. <laughs> as you start to see his character, see his nature, see who God is, and the more you start to follow him, you will start to be freely giving over your life because you say, he's always kind and generous and loving and good. It doesn't always make sense to me. It doesn't always make sense to the world. It actually, the Bible describes it as foolish, the way our Christianity looks. But at the end, I've been walking about 10 years now with the Lord. And that's a short while. It was an adrenaline, pumping up, amazing journey thus far that I could have never dreamt of and desired for myself. Life started to find purpose, pleasure, meaning, satisfaction. Just it clicked as I laid down. And that is what it means to be a disciple. So don't be afraid, as I wrote down this, don't be afraid to commit an unknown future to a known God. Our lives are not our own. It belongs to God. That is the foundation of being a disciple, the why of what it means to follow Him. Let's stand. What I would love to do is actually, the reason why we're asking people to stand and to, in a sense, call for a response is every single time, leave a Lulu, every time the, the word goes out, I do believe there needs to be a response. Otherwise, we're hard in our hearts and just come every single week and year and year and, in a sense, soak up the word, but we become, you know, fat Christians. We eat the whole time, but never exercise what we're actually eating. And that is very much the modern-day Christianity, sitting in churches week in and week out, but never living out the life of truly following God. And I want to actually do that call. First, the first group, for those that might be visiting here, I met 24 Henrys and a couple of Kobuses in this room. Welcome. And Ruben, my neighbor. There's a couple of people visiting. But maybe you're visiting and or you've been with us a while. And as you've heard these words, there's something in you that's a realization of that deep, still independence from God. That individualistic spirit that I'm not given to God truly, handed over. And ultimately, as we read the scriptures and we looked at this, you might have realized that your life is still very much your own and not God's yet. And as I was there in worship, I thought about this scripture. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. What is repentance? It's turning away from your old life. It's turning away from your independence and saying, God, I want to be dependent. 
It's turning away from doing your own desires and say, God, I've been bought with a price. I accept your free gift and I cross the bridge that can only be crossed, in a sense, by God making a way. So let's close our eyes because I want to give you a time to respond and then I'm going to move on uh, to another response. But if you're here and you recognize God's kindness, don't hear my voice.